sermon's titled, Kneel Down, Look Up, and Cry Out, but you could also call it, Why Pray? I want you to imagine that it's 6 a.m. on Monday morning, and you know that 6 a.m. on Monday morning feeling, and I want you to picture someone lying in their bed and their alarm goes off at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, and they know that the kids are going to be up in just half an hour, and they say to themselves, there's the alarm, you heard it, they say to themselves, should I get up and should I pray? Or, or should I get that extra half an hour of sleep? I mean, in just 30 minutes, my kids are going to be up and they're going to be running around and the day is going to start. And I could sure use 30 more minutes of sleep. Before I get up, should I kneel down in prayer? And, and then, and you know, that, that question that comes up, does prayer really matter? Is it worth the getting up? Wouldn't sleeping actually be better for me? Wouldn't that be more helpful for me than getting up in prayer? I mean, does prayer actually have any effect? Does it actually do anything? Now, you can imagine that because you've been there 6 a.m. on Monday mornings. But maybe it's not just that you wonder if it does anything. Maybe you look at your life and you say, you know, I've made so many bad choices in my life. I've made enough choices that my life is a little bit of a mess and, and my head hangs low when I think about those decisions and when I think about my past and should I even bring the Lord into those areas of my life through prayer? Even as my head hangs low, should I look up high and look at my God and pray to him? Will that change anything? Will that change me and how I think about my past? Should I pray? Why pray? Or maybe it's that you're walking through your day and you're just anxious you got a lot on your plate. you got a lot on your mind. There's a lot of decisions to be made. There's a lot of people to interact with. There's a lot of tasks and errands to do. And you're getting a little tense. Maybe just not about the day, but maybe about life in general. You're kind of holding it in. And you're wondering, instead of holding it in, should I cry out to the Lord? Will that do anything? Or, or should I just operate in that anxiety and get things done? Is it better to do that or is it better to pray? Should I pray? Will prayer do anything? Why pray? Why pray? Will it change anything? I want you to have those questions in your mind as we read through the last section of James, James 5, 12 through 20. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be, mean yes and your no mean no so that you won't fall under judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again. And the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters... If any one of you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. 
So James starts off in, in our passage, and he basically says that we need to be people of our word. In verse 12, he says, look, you shouldn't take unnecessary oaths. oaths. You shouldn't make a promise and say, I promise, just to get a person to do something and then break that promise just so you get the result that you want. James starts off by saying, we should be a people of our word as followers of Jesus and our walk with Jesus. But more than that, James says, we should be a people of prayer. And today we're going to answer that question, why pray? And what James tells us is to pray because prayer centers you. Prayer centers you on God. But then also prayer saves you. Prayer saves you. And we'll talk about that. And then lastly, prayer shifts things. So pray to be centered, pray to be saved, and pray to see things shift. Now you and I in our lives, we're often centered not on God, but on our circumstances. We often let our circumstances tell us who God is. So if things are going wrong in my life, it says something about God. God, you must not love me. God, my life is not the way I think it should be. So you don't care about me. Is anyone there? Okay, let's just be honest. That's where we start off. We often look at the suffering in our life and, and we think that it tells us something about God rather than looking at the circumstances through the lens of God. But also, when we experience happiness and blessing, we tend to forget God. If our life is going the way that we want it to, we don't spend as much time praying because we're not in that place of need, and it's so easy to let those good things in our life become our God. But what James says is whether things are going bad or whether things are going good, you need to pray because you need to be centered on God. If you're suffering, pray to God. If you're cheerful, sing praises to God because in those prayers and in those praises, you're recentering yourself on God and who he is. Are you down? Look up. Are you up? Kneel down. Center yourself on God and who he is. And as you center yourself on God through prayer, it solidifies your center. I told you earlier that... Um, at the, before the service, we prayed for two pastor friends. Uh, I had a pastor friend who lost his three-year-old daughter a couple weeks ago. It was just awful. It was horrible. There's no good answers, only questions. And yet as I went to the funeral uh, a week and a half ago, I, I watched as my friend and his wife got up, in, up front just to thank everyone for coming. And there were the, probably a thousand people in the crowd. And as I listened to them talk, I thought, they are in a lot of pain, but the center is holding. They are still looking to God in faith in the midst of this really dark situation. They have questions that they are not getting answered, and yet they're still looking to God. They are centered on him because I know that they are praying. They are praying. And for us, that might look like starting to get honest about the suffering, really, that's going on in each of our lives and reminding ourselves of who God is, even in that suffering. God, you are still good, even when someone loses a three-year-old child. God, you are good, even when I'm searching for a job and I cannot find one. God, you are good, even though these things are happening in my life, I choose to center on who you are and your character rather than my circumstances. When we go through times of blessing, we need to center ourselves on God and remind ourselves that the blessings from God are not God. They're just gifts from him. 
Because we tend to fill our hearts with the things that God gives us. And then that never fills us up. So we're looking for the next thing and we're looking past God and we're saying, I want the next blessing. Uh, St. Augustine famously said, if you can put that quote up, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. And whether we're suffering or joyful, we can be untethered, uncentered on God unless we're looking to him in prayer. Prayer centers us. And I find that prayer that helps me is praying the character of God back to God. God, you are loving. And so even though my life doesn't look the way I think it should, I know that you are still love. God, you are good. And even though I feel like my life is bad right now, you are good. God, I know all these things are true because you gave up the thing that you love most. You gave up Jesus to come and save us from our sins. So if you give us the thing that you love most, it means you do love and you do care about us. God, you are holy and righteous and you are everlasting. And so any blessing that comes from you is not the same as you. So help me not to fill myself or try and fill the hole in my heart with anything that you give me. You see, it's praying the character of God back to God, reminding yourself in prayer who he is and what our word tells us about him. And as we do that, it centers us on God and his character rather than our circumstances. That's really what we do on the morning prayer line every Wednesday. We just go through the Psalms and we're picking out like who is God and what has he done and what has he committed to do and let's center ourselves on him. And one thing I'd recommend for you is, is to get a book on prayer. Find, find a book. There's dozens of books on, on prayer. And one of the things that's been most helpful for me is to sort of have prayer mentors. Now they're all dead guys and they've all written books, but I find it's incredibly encouraging for me to read books about prayer by guys who have wrestled with prayer their whole lives. And if you want a book on prayer, I can recommend a few to you. Because as we pray, it centers us on God rather than on our circumstances. But prayer also saves us. Prayer saves us. Now, when you first came to Christ, you may have made a prayer of confession, the sinner's prayer. Lord, save me from my sin. I, I trust in Jesus and his death on the cross. And that's, that's, that's legit, but that's not what James is talking about here. When he says prayer saves, saves you, he's talking about being saved from the power of sickness in your body. Now everyone's going, whoa, what's he going to say next? Uh, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he had power to cleanse and heal people from their sicknesses and from their disease and, and what, diseases. And what I love about Jesus is he could have done that from very far away, but he didn't. When he walked around, he chose to get up close to people and heal them by touching them. He was present in them. When people are sick, no one wants to be around them, but Jesus came near them and he touched them and he saved them from the power of sickness in their body. Now, we believe that that's actually historical. Like if you read the beginning of the book of Luke and in the book of Luke, Jesus heals a lot of people, including the widow of Nain, which we talk about a lot at this church. But Luke starts off that book by saying, this isn't myth, this isn't story, this is actually historical fact. And he writes this book saying, you can fact check these stories and see that Jesus actually did heal people. There were eyewitnesses who saw Jesus' power being unleashed. 
And so we believe that Jesus actually has power to save people from the sickness in their bodies. Well, what does James say here in verse 14? If anyone among you is sick, he should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If someone's sick, they call the elders of the church. Elders isn't a, it's not the older people. Elders is an office in the church. It's, it's someone who is ordained uh, to preach and teach and to lead the church. That's, I'm, an, I'm an elder, right? Um, we're called to be servant leaders in the church. And if you're sick, you're to call the elders. You're to call me and receive prayer for your sickness. You're to be prayed over, which means I'm supposed to be present with you. You're to be anointed, which means I'm supposed to touch you just like Jesus, right? Just like Jesus. That means that uh, people should really be connected with the church because you can hear really good sermons online, you can get discipleship classes online, but you can't have someone be present with you and anoint you when you're sick unless you're connected with the church. Now, when it says anointing, what that means is symbolism. Say symbolism. symbolism. It's not magic. Say it's not magic. It's not magic. It's a symbolism of God's power and special concern for you in your sickness. It doesn't, it doesn't conjure up anything. It's a sign that God is aware of your sickness. And so even at the end of the service, during our prayer time, we're gonna, Chad and I are gonna stand over here. If anyone has a sickness, you can come to us during the last song. We're just gonna pray over you. We'll put a little dab of oil on your head. It's not mortar oil or anything like that. It's just, it's just olive oil. And it's a symbol that God is concerned and wants to bless you even in the midst of your sickness. So we pray for you to be saved from your sickness by Jesus because Jesus really does have power. In verse 15, it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I know that we all struggle with this, especially when we say the prayer of faith, because there are people that parade around on TV claiming to wield the power of God. And it's ridiculous, y'all. It really is ridiculous. There's nothing that we can do to control the supernatural power of God. All we can do is pray in faith. And if it, if it is according to God's will, God will do whatever he wants. If he wants to heal a sick person, he will. But that's not my power, that's his power. I don't get to wield that, he does. Our job is simply to pray in faith. And that's key, to pray boldly in faith. I have several charging cords for my phone and I went and bought a cheap one and I'll plug it in and that one goes in my car and I plug it in and I have my phone right there while I'm driving in the map and this cord is so cheap that if I have my map up on my phone, the power actually like drains. Like it doesn't charge up, it just goes down. This cord is worthless. And, and so it is when you pray, but you're not praying in faith. You're not praying believing. You're not praying that there's power that God could actually unleash. It's like that weak cord. And so we need to pray boldly for the people in our congregation that have a sickness or an illness, not saying, hey, I know for sure God's gonna heal this person, but saying, God, I believe you can. And I'm gonna pray boldly that you will. And see what God does. And see what God 
does. But it's not these faith healers. It's not these televangelists. We're not talking about that. Uh, There is a reason why those televangelists don't work in children's hospitals, right? If they were that effective, they would be hired by St. Jude's in Memphis, right? We are praying in faith according to God's will. And sometimes God heals people. Sometimes God uses doctors to heal people. That's what he did with my wife. Sometimes God doesn't heal people. And people have to live with hard things their whole life. But that shouldn't stop us from praying boldly in faith that we would be healed. That we would be saved from those physical ailments in our body. James goes on to say this. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. See, James is talking not only about a physical saving, a physical healing, but a spiritual healing. Because the power of sin not only affects our bodies and gives us sickness, but the power of sin holds on to us in our lives. I mean, we got saved and all our sins were forgiven past, present, and future, but we're still working against that power in our lives. We, we still have things that we do that we know we shouldn't do and things that we should do that we don't do. And that's the power of sin in us. And that sin tends to isolate us from Jesus. Like when we have sin in our life, it pulls us away from Christ. And not only that, it pulls us away from each other. And when we get by ourselves with our sin, it tends to define us because we can't really beat it by ourselves. And so then we start to say, I'm just an addict. I'm just a liar. I'm just a thief. Whatever. We let our sin define us because we've let it isolate us from Jesus and we've let it isolate us from each other. But what does James say? That we can receive forgiveness from Jesus. But not only that, it's not just a you and Jesus It's you and Jesus and Jesus' people where something spiritual and powerful happens. It says, confess your sins and pray for one another so that we're actually being honest and open about our sins and we're praying for one another together because everyone in here has sin. Now, we might rank those sins, but... Everyone in here has sin and everyone in here needs to be prayed for, for the power of sin to be broken in new ways in our life. And so we're to confess our sins. And as we confess our sins, we find out that the person we're confessing to is also a sinner. Wait, they, they just heard my sin and they accepted me? Well, that's healing. That kind of brings me into the light. I don't need to hide that sin. Uh, it brings me out of isolation. And that's why confession is so important. I read a research study that says half confessions are actually worse for you than not confessing at all. What's incredibly healing is a full confession. Fully confessing who you are is really freeing. But sort of numbing down your faults and sort of numbing down your sins and then doing a pseudo confession, it's actually worse for you, the study said. Because you're nervous not only about the sin, but then also hiding the deeper depth of the sin. And that's why Jesus invites us to confess our sins to one another. Not pretend to be something we're not, but actually to come clean and say, I'm a broken, messed up person who needs the blood of Jesus just like you. And we find in that, that there's healing. Here, who here um, struggles with prayer? Anybody? Okay, I'm raising my hand. Okay, good. Um, 
who at times wonders if prayer does any good? Okay. Who here struggles to trust God and therefore doesn't pray because they struggle to trust God? Okay. Who here at times thinks that they can live life without praying? Like, I don't need to today. I can get through it. Okay. Some of you aren't as bad as sinners as I am because my hand was up every time. <laughs> but, but did you look around the room and did you see that everyone raised their hand at some point? Isn't that good? Isn't that somewhat healing to actually know that we're all struggling sinners who need Jesus Christ? It's so freeing to be known, to be healed in the midst of our sin, and yet we spend so much of our time hiding ourselves from each other. But the real healing, the real saving is when we can know each other's sin and we can pray for each other and walk with each other and that find out that that sin doesn't define us. Because when you confess your sins to me, I remind you that you're covered with the blood of Jesus. And there's power in the blood of Jesus to defeat that sin. And that's where it's healing. In a week, in our, um, in our anniversary service, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together the first time next week. I'm, I'm excited about it. And that supper is really about Jesus' deep commitment to us, even though we're sinners, and our deep commitment to one another. And so we're going to figure out a way to do it where we actually get in a circle around the room and we take it together. See, it's not just a private moment with Jesus. It's Jesus' family taking the meal together because we're sinners and we still need the blood of Christ. We still need the blood of Christ. He's deeply committed to us. And that means that we should be deeply committed to each other, not only just in praying for each other's sin, but actually really walking with each other, turning, turning each other on the right path. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if any of you strays from the truth and someone turns them back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There's this sense that we really are supposed to be in that area of each other's lives. We, we hide that sinful area from each other, and, and we can just sort of do the Christian thing and not let anybody in. But we're really supposed to be committed to each other and helping each other work through sin, not from a position of I'm better than you, but from a position of we need each other and we can't do this alone. In St. Louis, there was a, a man who... Um, was married to this great woman, and he left her for another woman. He moved away, and the pastors from the church said, uh-uh, we're coming after you. And they flew out on a plane to find this man uh, in a different city out in the west. And they couldn't find him. He hid from him with this other woman. And they said, well, at this point, there's nothing we can do, but we're going to pray for this brother because we understand how easily it is to be deceived and make a dumb decision like that. And they, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And this elderly African refugee widow had been living with the man and his first wife. And she had seen the whole thing go down. And she began praying for this man who had left his wife. And she wrote him a letter. She found out his address, and she wrote him a letter and said, just kind of called him out. Said, what you've done is sinful. You've made a mess of things. Please. Please return to Jesus. Now, I had been in the church at least six years, and this had happened way before I had gotten there. But six years in, he shows up. And he says, I got the letter 
from this African grandma. And I was so convicted by what it said. And I was so convicted by her prayers that I'm here to repent. It was a very painful celebration when he came back. It was painful, but it was a celebration because he repented and he came back and he said, I am a sinner. I, I have no excuse. This was awful what I did. I, I, my marriage has fallen apart and I've hurt my child. He had an adult daughter. Um, but we also welcomed him and said, you are forgiven. In fact, his ex-wife, who had gotten remarried, showed up at the service as well. And she stood out in the audience. I watched her. She stood out in the audience and held her hand towards him and said, we forgive you. I forgive you. It's powerful stuff when we can actually get involved in each other's lives and help each other walk towards Jesus. Pray for one another and confess our sins to one another. And that's where we see God's salvation being worked out in our lives. We pray we pray, we pray because we need to be centered, but we pray because we also need to be saved from the sickness in our bodies and also from the sin that so easily entangles each and every one of us. But lastly, we pray to see shifts. We pray to see shifts. Now, some of you are praying to get more shifts. Please pray for that. That's not what I mean. What I mean by that, though, is pray to God for things to shift because through prayer, God shifts things. Pray, it's simple. Pray to God for things to shift because through prayer, God shifts things. That's how he works. You want something to change? You want something to move forward? Pray because through prayer, God shifts things. In verse 16b uh, and eight through 18, it says this, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And that word effect is where we get the modern word for, for energy. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And a righteous person is simply someone who's walking with Jesus, someone who's following after Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It just means that they're following the perfect person, which is Christ. Now you might say, look, I don't think God hears my prayers because I'm not super spiritual. I struggle to pray. I haven't even been a Christian that long. But listen to what, listen to what James says next. Elijah was a human being just as we are. So it's not about the prayer, it's about the one that the prayer is praying to. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruits. Elijah was a human being as we are, and yet he knelt down, he looked up, and he cried out. And God shifted things. And if you kneel down, you look up, and you cry out, God will shift things. See, oftentimes there is a closed door or there is a wall that we cannot get over in our lives, and we quit. But what we should do is kneel down, look up, and cry out because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. See, you know someone who can get over the wall. You know someone who can open that door. So don't quit. Pray. Pray for that job. Pray for freedom from that addiction. Pray that you'll have the boldness to share your faith. Don't count yourself out. Pray that God would help you. Pray for love to love your enemy. Pray when you have no resources, but you still got to move forward. 
Don't quit. Pray for shifts. Because it's through prayer that God shifts things. You know, in July of 2015, O.B. Johnson had its groundbreaking. July of 2015, that's two and a half years ago. And we uh, stood out right by where the tennis courts were now. And uh, we watched as, as city officials dug into the ground to start building this. And I was asked to be one of the people that prayed at that ceremony two and a half years ago. And, and I prayed that this would be a place that God's kingdom would be made known. And I pray that this will be a place where God's love would be made known and that people would hear about Jesus. And while I was up there in the back of my mind, I was also praying, Lord, open a door for New City to be the church that meets in O.B. Johnson Park. Now, that was July of 2015. And we went through that summer. We went through that fall. In January of 2016, we started meeting in Foster Park. Then that summer, we made it at Iglesia Real, and we had challenges in every step of the way. And then that fall, we said, well, what do we do? We still don't know a year later if they're going to let us be the church that meets in OBJ. We prayed, and we prayed for God to open a door. And we took a step of faith, and we moved into McNichol Community Center, not knowing if we were going to move from there into here. We had 10 weeks in McNichol. That's it. After that, we were done. What if we moved to Sunday morning and we don't get in here? We have to go back to Sunday nights, and that would be so discouraging. We prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And with just maybe a month left, I get an email from the city of Hollywood, or city of Hallandale, saying, you guys are the church that we've chosen to meet in O.B. Johnson Park. Two and a half years of waiting and praying, and yet God shifted things. We did pray and God opened a door for us. See, when you kneel down and you look up and you cry out and you pray, God shifts things. So let me encourage you, don't give up in that area where you're just saying, I'm not sure I can pray anymore. You ever run dry of prayers? Don't give up. God hears you God listens to you. Prayer is effective because you know Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. Pray for things to shift because it's through prayer that God shifts things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you hear our prayers, that as you're seated at the right hand of God, um, you welcome our prayers. And not only that, you pray for us. And so we pray for everyone here this morning that is discouraged, that is hurting, that needs healing in their body. Oh Lord, remind us of your great love for us, that nothing can separate us from your love. I pray that as we stand in prayer, we would stand together and that you would use this little church in mighty ways. But remind us to pray. Remind us to pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?